Welcome to the Victoria Anarchist Book Fair's week of podcasts featuring local, national, and international activists and authors. Due to the ongoing global pandemic, the Book Fair Collective decided to move their event online again this year. So for the second year in a row, From Embers is teaming up with the Victoria Anarchist Book Fair to release presentations over our podcast platform. Recordings of these Voices of Resistance were conducted on unceded Indigenous territories across so-called British Columbia and beyond. For more information about the book fair and a full schedule of online events, check out victoriaanarchistbookfair.ca. And listeners in the Victoria area are encouraged to visit Camus Books at 2620 Quadra Street or online at camus.ca for anarchist publications and more. And to find out more about our regular anarchist podcast, go to fromembers.libsyn.com or simply search From Embers in your favorite podcast app. The Victoria Anarchist Book Fair Collective would like to acknowledge this interview took place simultaneously on unceded Wasonic and Lekwungen territories in so-called Victoria, Canada, and on the traditional territories of the Malnomach, Wasco, Kalich, Kalamet, and Clackamas peoples in what is now called Portland, Oregon. My name is Alan Adliff, and today I'm interviewing N.O. Bonzo, an anarchist street artist and illustrator who, whose art is much admired in the activist community. Recently, Bonzo completed a beautiful illustrated edition of Peter Kropotkin's most famous book, Mutual Aid, and I thought we'd begin our interview there and see where it goes. Bonzo, I'm curious as to why you chose Kropotkin's Mutual Aid for your first ever illustrated book, and I believe this is the first book you've illustrated, correct? This is the first book I've illustrated uh, before. I've just maybe more worked on smaller projects like zines or something. So this was the first really, really large undertaking to the tune of, you know, 300 some odd pages. And how many years? Uh, Two and a half years. So this was two and a half years while, you know, working full-time jobs, getting evicted, doing all Mm -hmm. of my other, you know, things that I do in the city. Uh, Portland having numerous fascist incursions. So it was a very busy two and a half years. <laughs> and in the and and during that time you're creating this uh this vision, uh a, a reenactment of Kropotkin's values visually. So could you tell us about um why mutual aid? Uh, uh, many people will not be familiar with uh the book, so perhaps you could recapitulate some of its contents and, and the importance of the argument. So just to first kind of talk a little bit about what mutual aid is, uh, mutual aid is a text that Kropotkin wrote. Um, It was initially a series of essays that were then compiled and published into a work in 1902. Uh, They were a response to the growing push for social Darwinism. Uh, For folks who are familiar with social Darwinism, you know, this is a very damaging, you know, theory for the totality of like animal, human living, you know, worlds. And it's one that, you know, really claims that it's like survival of the fittest, right? It's a, it's a dog eat dog world. Everything is just like competition and that competition is fierce and 
you know, very like bloody and like there's a struggle for existence. Um, you know, and I think to anybody just hearing that for the first time, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what social Darwinism is. I've like seen that and heard that I've watched a David Attenborough, you know, nature documentary. Um, and so Kropotkin was a naturalist, was a scientist, you know, a very respected naturalist and scientist. And uh, he really took what were already conversations that were happening within the Russian sciences that, um, you know, no, like the, the groups of people, species, you know, humankind, all of these different things, you know, the, the fundamental thing propelling them is not just competition, it's actually cooperation. And when we look at species that generally do really well, right? So species that uh, are multiplying and enjoying like a high quality of life, you know, the, the fundamental motivation, the, the tendency that they're following is one of cooperation and reciprocity. And he does this in the text through a number of different examples, kind of starting in the animal kingdom, starting in, um, you know, older historic, what are, what are considered older historical societies. We know they're, you know, not old, they're still existing, uh, moving through, you know, medieval cities and coming up till now in 1900s. And so this text was a response to this, uh, you know, very, very big push for having social Darwinism be the way that we understand, you know, how fundamentally the world works. And so this is an absolutely beautiful text. Um, You may hear my dog yipping in the background. I'm sorry. Um, So this is an actual, absolutely beautiful text that articulates something incredibly different. It's an articulation for an incredibly different way of looking at the world. And I think a way that is not only more accurate, but one that, uh, you know, anarchists really understand. Um, So, you know, that's kind of the wrap up. That's a short, but also maybe long wrap up of what the book is. Um, And so there were, there were a few impulses behind wanting to do this project, you know, and many of them are just rooted within an appreciation and fascination with the text that Kropotkin produced, along with its continued relevancy. Uh, The social Darwinist position and its various offshoots are still very strongly proliferating the world we are in now. Um, and absolutely utterly limit people's potentials and utterly limit the way that people can even like look at and interpret the world and action around them. And Kropotkin's argument against this remains timely and important. Um, So, you know, I was kind of having this conversation with somebody about that eventually turned into, all right, I'm going to make this book, you know, there goes 2.5 years of my life. Uh, And, you know, when I, when I had this conversation with somebody, the copies of mutual aid that were still in print, uh, they were all these, these very unappealing direct to print fuzzy pixelated versions. Like, uh, anybody can just like go and look and it's like, you'll see a highly pixelated circle a, and then the inside of the text, it's just full of typos, weird misprints, you know, these very these very not lovely versions, they're out, they're not enjoyable to look at. Uh, so in, you know, in thinking about the book and thinking about Kropotkin, thinking about the artists of the time, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, 
you know, what were the artists up to? Some of these artists, of course, friends with Kropotkin. I kind of came back to this long appreciation I have uh, with older arts and crafts movement artists like Walter Crane and William Morris, uh, particularly a project that William Morris and a number of different people participated in called the Kelmscott Press. Um, and Morris, and I think, you know, Kropotkin has expressed related sentiments uh, to Morris and Crane with art. We also know that Kropotkin was a very accomplished artist, a passionate craftsman. There's that lovely little anecdote from Emma Goldman the first time she meets him where Kropotkin is all like excited to show her this project he's working on. He's like very passionately working on this woodworking project. Um, but, you know, Morris had this deep commitment to the beauty of the printed work and a deep belief that ornamentation, flourish, embellishment of a text could enhance the words themselves and could illuminate them in a variety of different ways even. Uh, so, you know, kind of combining these two ideas just really carried me away. And so I was just very passionate with uh, this idea that I could try and create something that would hopefully add to and evoke the beauty of Kropotkin's words in this way that not only called back to the artists of the time, um, not only called to this ongoing argument that we have, but could also exist as a work of this time too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've articulated very clearly how Kropotkin conceived of mutual aid as a reversal of perspective in terms of uh, inverting the social Darwinist narrative about not only humanity, but also uh, nature in all its fecundity and and highlighting how we help each other how how this uh, mutual aid between species and within you know within a, a certain species all these this is integral to our our being it, it's just organically part of who we are and indeed once you realize that you can see what sustains what sustains us and what sustains nature um, has little to do with competition and power over others and everything to do with cooperation and uh, mutual sustainability. So, yeah, I, I, I share your, uh, your um, interest in Kropotkin's argument and, and also the idea that it's a compelling argument that's still relevant for today. Also, looking through the book, um, you have indeed... Uh, brought forward through your illustrations a contemporary feel to it that also looks back to the past and these great artists who were uh, connected with the anarchist movement, William Morris being one of them, Walter Crane being another. Can you say a little more about Walter Crane and his, his uh, influence on your style? Yeah. And, you know, I just want to take a moment to recognize that out of the two of us, one of us is definitely more of an expert on Walter Crane being you. <laughs> well, you, you, you encountered Walter Crane's illustrations at some point. Yeah. Uh, so Walter Crane is a contemporary of William Morris, the arts and crafts movement, which was a, um, you know, group of folks who were working within a specific artistic tradition. Uh, Walter Crane himself was 
you know, at one point, I think identifying as an anarchist communist, like switched to socialism at one point. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was very deeply embedded within many uh, anarchist projects at the time. Um, And he was also very embedded, of course, within like socialist movements, right? And especially socialist art movements. So Walter Crane uh, has done like any number of amazing illustrations that folks have actually, that folks have probably seen, like, if you've ever looked at into uh, Luis's Mikel's uh, Freedom International School, you know, Walter Crane did a front piece for that. Um, if you've looked at old illustrations that celebrate the solidarity of labor, uh, you know, May Day, you've seen Walter Crane's illustrations. Um, he has a number of folios uh, that are just like, I believe they're called Art for the Cause. And it's like this huge folio of just the most gorgeous art. and. Another element that I really enjoy about Walter Crane, and I think sometimes gets even lost when we talk about a lot of these arts and crafts artists, is that a number of them illustrated children's books. And Mm. this was like a huge passion of theirs to make these utterly gorgeous children's books that, you know, youth and kids coming to them would just be so fascinated by and like jumping into the illustrations and, you know, overly you know, just like really, really swept away by the, by the beauty of like, um, you know, these kids books. So I don't know, he, it was kind of, I think whenever you look at almost any arts and crafts artist, they always get described as like jacks of all trade, right? He did it all. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And mentioning Kropotkin, uh, likewise, this, this anarchist theorist and activist who is also a painter did sketches, um, as you say, uh, was interested even in what carving. There's this really adorable anecdote. It's the first time Emma meets him. And uh, so, you know, she goes in and they chat and stuff. And then he's like, Oh, come out to my workshop. I want to show you this thing I'm working on. And he's working on just this delightful little piece of kind of like carving and carpentry. And Ah. the way that she talks about his joy And talking about the project is just, it really kind of sweeps you away. And it just has that kind of like, uh, you know, just just the utter joy of like, I'm making a thing because it is fun to make a thing, Mm -hmm. you know, which I always appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A number of years ago, I was going through a a Russian publication um, dedicated to Kropotkin. strangely enough produced in the era of the Soviet Union. Mm. And there I came across a reproduction of uh, a sketch by Kropotkin of Kropotkin painting with his little cat nearby. (laughs) (laughs) I want to, you got to send that to me. I thought, I mean, here's this, this amazing, uh, this amazing critical thinker who's also an artist and, and also recognizes that dimension of, uh, of creativity and how, and and I I think um, how integral art can be to uh, a revolutionary society, and how important art is for revolutionary change. Um, and he talked about that interface in in various publications. But getting back to your mutual aid, one of the things that um, really struck me about the book is periodically you're going through the chapters and then you come across these interventions on your part, these full page illustrations with short commentaries narrating contemporary examples of mutual aid. 
So can you tell us a little bit about some of those examples and um, where you got the inspiration for them? Uh, happily. Uh, you know, so there are, I believe, uh, 11 full page illustrations within the work, and they kind of run a spectrum from anything from crafting guilds, right? So just folks getting together to, to do quilting together because it's enjoyable to cooperate and skill share with each other, you know, all the way to folks who are maybe robbing a bank so they can help to break a comrade free from jail. Um, also a shout out to Kropotkin because that dude broke out of jail, right? With the help <laughs> of friends. Um, yeah. <laughs> nobody escapes alone. Um, and, you know, some maybe more more traditional uh, ones like food access and distribution projects. So things like punks with lunch, food, not bombs, mm-hmm. um, you know, no more deaths, which is a support project um, that seeks to help people who are seeking to cross borders through, you know, maybe putting out water, food catches, maps, just a very, a variety of things for fo- folks who are seeking to cross borders. Um and so there's about 11 in there. And my initial goal was actually to attempt to include about 30 or so of these, but best laid plans did not make that happen. <laughs> um, you know, I had this cute little notebook that had about 45 or so examples, and that included things like people building mesh Wi-Fi networks, uh, queer mm. self-defense committees. Uh, people who rescue animals from factory farms. So even yeah. some of that cross-species uh, cooperation and aid that we see. Um, I mean, you can just go on endlessly when you're talking about mutual aid and cooperation. You know, like Kropotkin said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, the mutual aid tendency uh, in in humans has so remote an origin and is so deeply interwoven with all the past of humanity. Like, like you don't have to struggle to come up with examples. Uh, so the ones that ended up getting illustrated were kind of the ones that more I was most familiar with and iconic to me, especially as uh, I'm somebody with a more kind of punk persuasion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are all things that like if you're in, you know, grimy collective punk houses, <laughs> it's like you or somebody, you know, is going to do one of those except for the jailbreaks, like uh-huh. we don't really got those anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, gosh, it sounds like I was going to ask if there are any future book projects. It sounds like you just articulated one to bring together um, <laughs> all those examples and do a, a like a companion volume. I would, um, I would love that. That would be, I think that could be a winner. <laughs> yeah. Or even just a, you know, 10 year retrospective on the, on the book, just put all the plates in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, so this project connects directly with your, with your own life as an anarchist. Can you tell, tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, uh, I, you know, I just see myself as kind of like a really standard punk, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. A person who, you know, first, I I do want to admit, like, I am very lucky to come from a family that already has uh, a number of incredibly deep set, you know, far left values that are interested in liberatory ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So 
So I'm very lucky. A lot of people don't have that kind of like support in their life. Um, And, you know, just coming up in that family, you know, you kind of already at least have some idea of like, okay, so this is bullshit, very harmful, very violent over here. This is like not good. And then, um, you know, as, as I got older, I started getting into, you know, punk and hip hop subcultures and, you know, like, like so many other people, art, music, uh, you know, scene values, things that are happening within subcultural spaces, you know, kind of propelled me into anarchism. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times it doesn't take that long because it's like, oh, you, you know, you start involving yourself in these things. And then you have a long conversation with somebody, you read a zine, and then you go to the food, not bombs meeting. Right. And then it's like, ah, damn it. All right. Now I'm an anarchist. Like, no, (laughs) no, no going back. A process of self-realization, let's say. Yeah. 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 But then you got to read for the next 30 years. It's, you know, there is a catch (laughs) to it. (laughs) Um, Well, there are so many threads. Yeah, there. Oh goodness, you could. I mean, just so many million. I I think of just my bookcase, and I'm like, oh god, it's like choose your own adventure. What do I want to think about today? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, too, uh, along with kind of you know being into punk, being into hip hop, being into these spaces, I uh, was very into like graffiti, street art, kind of like mm-hmm. that umbrella. You know, to be to be specific, like the illegal application of stuff to walls, right? Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) all the different Mm -hmm. things you can put on a wall uh, just that you're not allowed to do. And I feel, you know, that also was like a really, really big part of my development uh, just in terms of like, you know, it's, it's really easy to not care about people's private property claims when you're running around writing on people's private property all night. (laughs) And by people, I mean like, you know, corporations, businesses, city property, who cares about them, right? Um, You know, none of us are out there like hurting somebody's house. We don't want to do that. Uh Uh, So yeah, I feel, you know, as an anarchist, I was also very lucky to already have art be like a huge, um, you know, source of inspiration, source of motivation. And that kind of just led me to thinking about like, what was the history of anarchist art? What is the the current, you know, status of anarchist art? And just like exploring a lot of those things. And so also kind of getting, like you just said, there's a million different threads, but also becoming really fascinated in what have anarchists said and done in art. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so your, your evolution in terms of your style of illustration, is, is this just you experimenting and looking at examples that uh, of work by other artists that you uh, you thought, hey, that, I, I'd like to work with that idea or this uh, this idea in terms of uh, values like shading, line. Uh, um, I mean, there's always the invention of of the way in which one brings together a whole bunch of s- symbolic imagery to commu- communicate values, but. I'm just think, thinking about the evolution of your style and whether you uh, whether you were um, working with other artists as you developed your 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 um, your illustration technique, or whether it's oh. like self-taught. Uh, I mean, you know, column A and column B, mm-hmm. but I, I would I would really want to emphasize, you know, one of the 
one of the really glorious things about, I think, like uh, graffiti, punk, hip hop, a lot of these spaces is they're highly DIY and they're highly collaborative. Yeah, they're so collaborative um, in such a like deep and enduring way. You know, one of the things I'm really happy about the book is that uh, actually a postscript was written by a person named Gats. And Mm -hmm. for folks who are not within, um, you know, the United States, like Gats is a very, very prolific graffiti artist. They have completely wrecked, you know, town to town. They're just like so, so fantastic. Um, You know, this is somebody who I've known for a really long time. And, you know, even when I just personally think of mutual aid, I think about so many of those relationships within graffiti, within punk, where, you know, people sat around together and did skill sharing to figure something out, uh, you know, shared as much as they possibly could to try and just for the joy of seeing somebody else do something that made them happy. Right. Uh I think uh, a lot of people may find themselves in artistic scenes in which kind of the the actual technical knowledge is kind of privatized and put away <laughs> and it's hard to access it. Whereas uh-huh. in graffiti, somebody's like, no, here's what you do. You take this, you put this in it, you put this in it. And then like, boom, go out and do it, you know, watch your back, but like, boom, go out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so of course, you know, there's this huge part of me just like sitting and like for seven hours a day drawing. But, you know, uh, some of those yes. days I'm sitting with other people drawing and we're showing stuff to each other, giving each other critical feedback, nice. sharing artists who we love. Yeah. Oh, I mean, for anybody who's an artist, the, you know, mutual aid, like especially when Kropotkin just talks about like people like to hang out with each other. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like cause there is an element of the book that's like people just like to be nerds together, you know, like he's getting into bird watching societies as like an example. And it's like, I think, you know, people in graffiti know that like being a nerd with a bunch of other nerds is like such an enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it comes from, uh, you know, just self-motivation of like, I'm down this rabbit hole and now I'm, you know, obsessed with Claire Layton and I'm going to draw a couple of her pieces and also, you know, sitting in a room and engaging in critical feedback and like learning skills and techniques and passing that all around. Okay. Okay. So no art school, but rather. Oh, oh no. Oh yeah. For anybody. I, uh, art, you know, art, I didn't even art, make it out of high school. In the street, so to speak. Like I've known many <laughs> people, I've known a number of people who uh, keep these fantastic sketchbooks, right. And, and just develop their technique over time. So um, in, in precisely the way you're talking about. That's, that's wonderful. I'm also reminded that um, uh, I'm part of uh, a anarchist bookstore collective called Camus Books in Victoria. Yeah. And w- when we moved to a new location in 2013, um, a bunch of graffiti artists uh, stepped up to illustrate our walls. <laughs> yeah, that's so, you know, and that's the Which thing too. So, and when people walk in, they just go, wow. <laughs> I, I hope travel becomes safe so I can just run in there someday mm-hmm. too. I want to see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Gra- graffiti artists, if they're not anarchists already, they generally understand that, you know, the anarchist kind of styled uh, collectives and shops. We'll mm-hmm. let them paint what they want to paint, which mm-hmm. is like, 
you know, there's definitely like a good marriage going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, your critical thoughts about the capitalization of art and the idea of uh, possessing um, knowledge, in this instance, ideas for uh, creative knowledge around illustration or, or uh, mural making and so forth. Um, that really does get in the way of, of sharing, of uh, mm-hmm. mutual aid and development as an artist. And, and there's this phenomena within the capitalization of art where um, the system of capitalization often brought to bear on a particular artist locks that artist into replicating something that sells. And they, as a result, they're sort of arrested in stasis. <laughs> there is. And they can't oh grow. They can't plagiarize. <laughs> <laughs> There's this um, really funny line from David Graeber where he's like, um, if you, if you say or do something interesting once, the whole world will conspire to make sure that's all you ever do for the rest of your life. And you never say anything interesting again. Mm. And I'm just like, I kind of love that line. <laughs> and he's yeah, well, referring it... to, Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Oh yeah. It... And he's referring to, uh, you know, after he wrote debt, he's like, everybody just wanted me to only talk about debt. And that was going to be, you know, the thing that I became, you know, the guy on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he, he contributed so many, wonderful and generous pieces after debt like i'm so glad that he saw he saw the conspiring around him and was like no like i'm doing rules of utopia bullshit jobs all this other stuff too <laughs> mm-hmm. including uh, a, a piece for your book mutual aid yeah um david graber and andre and andre grubachak uh wrote the introduction and a forward from ruth kenna and then an afterword by Alan Antliff. Uh, <laughs> and I would, yeah. You know, it's, an, it's incredibly humbling. You know, it's incredibly humbling to, to illustrate Kropotkin, but it's also incredibly humbling to illustrate for all of these people who, you know, are contributing. I know I'm talking about you and that's, you know, whatever, maybe, maybe embarrassing or whatever, but it's incredibly humbling to be able to illustrate all of like these current thinkers who are contributing so many beautiful things to the world. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it's definitely, I I highly recommend anybody who picks up the book to read the supplemental material because it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. I learned a lot from Ruth Kinnan and and David Graeber and Gripshek's contributions uh, in terms of how Ruth Kinnan really situated Kropotkin as someone who's making a, a very powerful intervention in oh, yeah. his own time. And um and she also throws new light on some of the uh what you, you could interpret as retrograde language in uh in Kropotkin's writing and and puts a different perspective on it in terms of him uh, saying that he's not trying to reinforce um uh, a hierarchy of cultures and so forth, but rather he's he's calling forth the uh the way in which mutual aid is realized in different cultures on a global scale, um, and so if you if you, you know, read his read his work, um, you might initially um, 
make the mistake of thinking that he's he's uh, he's engaged in on some level in hierarchy building but reading um in terms of this culture is more advanced than this culture but reading ruth kinna's introduction it becomes clear that um no it's just the opposite um so yeah i i found i found the decision um to um to invite others to contribute to to the book and enhance enhance it in those ways was was a good one on the part of the publishers Cam so, did all of that work so appreciative of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and they've they've ended up producing a beautiful book too Yay! <laughs> we did it. Yeah. So uh, you you talked about this is taking up two and a half years. What's what's next? Oh golly! Um, so too much as always, right? All of us always want to do too much. Um, so in the very immediate right now, I'm very humbled to be coming on as a contributor to a few works. Uh, mm-hmm. One is a look at the life of Nestor Machno um, Ah. that's going to be written in. uh, I've I've read some of the the early writings for it. It's very engaging, very accessible. It's not like a boring, dry historical text. It's actually Mm -hmm. this really fun, like I want to jump into it type of text. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other one, I'm unfortunately not at liberty to describe the project more, but it's another historical work and it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I really wish I could talk about it, but I can't, but some folks are working on a thing that I hope everybody's going to be really excited about. Um, And then as far as for myself, I've been like very slowly, ever so slowly starting to develop the ideas for another large kind of multi-year work. Mm -hmm. Um, That working title right now is All Our Mothers Resisted. You know, who knows if that will change as things evolve, right? Projects go through so many uh, so many kind of lives, but I hopefully currently picture it as a work that focuses on a number of kind of less known, less spoken of, uh, histories of women's resistance, uh-huh. which is a little intimidating just as I'm going to have to write for this one thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm going to have to really rely on an editor, but it's also really exciting in the sense that I'm going to get to spend just like hours doing research on these stories Um, for anybody who's even maybe still living, be able to reach out to them, uh, spend a lot of time trying to recreate scenes Mm -hmm. that will more than likely not have a, you know, the many of them will probably not have a great deal of reference photos to work from. Uh, Some of them, you know, predate cameras Mm -hmm. Uh, And some small examples of kind of like what I picture that to be is, uh, you know, things like, The August Rebellion, which is this 1974 uprising at the Bedford Hills prison where about 200 women rebelled and took over large parts of the prison in protest of the inhumane treatment of their comrade and friend, Carol Crooks. Like they completely destabilized this prison um, because this one one person had been, you know, very like put in solitary confinement and experienced violence from guards. And I find that really inspiring um you know lots of bread riots like if you just if you just start even looking into the history of bread riots like yeah. oh my god <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, bread riots leading to revolutions in in a number of instances yes oh yeah there there and then too i mean just any of the grain riots like if you also look into rice riots right you go through mm-hmm. a whole new you know just as full and rich of a history um also you know 
beginning to illustrate maybe the petroluses of the French Revolution, you know, mm-hmm. so these were the wild women who were running around burning down Paris, um, you know, and then later, of course, the women on the barricades of the commune. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, this is pictured in the same way. It's a fully illustrated text. Right now, I'm really looking into um a friend of Morris's named Florence Harrison, who did a number of illustrated books and kind of like thinking about how she chose to make those books and how I could incorporate that now. Um, And I'm just hoping to do something that's kind of like, you know, maybe pulling away from the more, we, we actually do have a lot of these like, oh, women did cool shit books, but a lot of them are more liberal where they're like, oh, women did a reform thing and got on the Supreme Court. And you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I want the Supreme Court, yo. Like, I want the prison burnt down. Like, right. let's do that. <laughs> that sounds like a great project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really exciting. And I'm constantly uh, texting and calling friends to be like, you'll never believe what they did back in 1895. Like, so it's... Well, we should we should be in touch about that because I, I may have a oh, few definitely. suggestions. Um, oh, yeah. For those who don't know about Nestor Makhno, um, this is someone who led the, the Ukrainian insurgent army fighting against uh, the German occupation of uh, Ukraine and then the reactionaries in Ukraine who wanted to, uh, to assert their power after the Germans left in 1918. And simultaneously dealing with uh, the um, the Leninist uh, side of the ledger, uh, the so-called Soviet Union in emergence, and uh, Leon Trotsky and uh, and Lenin and 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 their uh, imposition of their dictatorship, which Makhno was doing battle against, and periodically entering into alliances uh, with the Soviet. Uh, Red Army to combat um, the arch reactionaries that ultimately wanted to restore the Tsar. So that's an intense history. I'm delighted you'll be illustrating it. Oh yeah, I'm I'm delighted. I'm not having to write it. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to include some Chichenkas in there. Uh, yeah, actually. Oh, good goodness, uh, not to go down a rabbit hole, but <laughs> I've been uh, you know, revolutionary really... nerd. <laughs> yeah, just I've been I've just been doing as much research as possible to uh, what is what is the art, what is the clothing, what is the uh, you know what are the folk stories that mm-hmm. would have surrounded Makno's life, mm-hmm. um, and just finding so many. Oh, the art is so gorgeous; it's like mm. almost, it's it's breathtaking. So just diving really into that particular kind of more like uh, you know what did shit look like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I've seen one of his, uh, the Shishanka is a, a cart, horse-drawn cart with a machine gun on the back. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> it was now part I'm of this really mobile, excited. mobile I, uh, weaponry. And I've seen uh-huh. one of these things. <laughs> so, oh, my God. In a museum in, uh, in St. Petersburg. So. Oh, wow. That's, that's going to be a, one of the funnest things to illustrate ever, honestly. For sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, listen, Bonzo, thanks very much for taking time out to do this interview. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you again. I'm so sorry that uh, COVID keeps us apart. I wish that I was in Victoria right now enjoying, you know, the beautiful space that y'all always 
make and put together for the book fair. So hopefully maybe next year or the year after. Yeah, I expect next year we'll be up and running. Yes. All right. I'll see you then. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. so bored. What a lame Sunday. I hate it. Let's check Facebook. Ugh, Facebook. What is this? Food not bombs? Cook yummy food? Meet cool people. Stop food waste. No experience necessary. Not Bombs is serving free meals to everyone, Sundays, 4 p.m. at Centennial Square on unceded Lekwungen territory. Come eat with us, drop off food, or support our kitchen. We are looking for volunteers to help chopping, cooking, and serving food, or to help with computer tasks. Check Food Not Bombs Victoria on Facebook to find out where we cook. For inquiries about volunteering and to join our listserv, please mail to vicfnb at lists.resist.ca or check out our Facebook page, Food Not Bombs Victoria. Food Not Bombs, free meals every Sunday at 4 p.m. at Centennial Square on unceded Lekwungen territory. Free the food! <laughs>